good to see everybody today. Happy New Year. You doing all right? Good. We're so glad that you're here. We have a great crowd here today. We had some great worship. Uh, and so uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm not the pastor uh, here. I'm one of the pastors. My name is Rick Callahan. I'm the pastor of families here at Westwood. So we're glad that you guys are here and you guys joining us online. We're glad that you are here with us as well. Well, um, Back when I was a young man, around 12 years old, uh, I was playing football with some guys down the street from me, and there was this little boy that was about eight or nine years old that he was playing with us, and I didn't really know him very well. His name was George, and uh, George uh, was a lot smaller than us, and so we were trying not to hurt him playing football, because by the way, we played tackle, right? Played tackle in the backyard, and we had a good time that way. And so uh, George played with us a little while, and uh, after we got through, George had kind of built a rapport with us, and so he invited all of the guys who were a little older than him to come over to his house, which was just across the street, and see his baseball card collection. Now, how many of you men collected baseball cards when you were younger? Few of you. Any of you still collect cards? Few, maybe. I used to collect cards because I needed my bicycle to sound like a motorcycle. And so uh, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You take a clothespin, you put it there on the frame of your bike, and when you would, you're going to do that this afternoon probably, right? Don't use any really good baseball cards. That's what I found out. So we go over to see George's baseball collection, baseball card collection. And we get over there, and I cannot believe it. He was one of those kids where uh, they had evidently bought every baseball card, as soon as it came out, new for George, and he had them all in books. And he spread some of them out, and he had stacks of them that he hadn't even put in books. And he was so excited about his baseball cards. And so he had, he had a Babe Ruth card. But it wasn't like a, a, a rookie card. It was just a Babe Ruth card. And so we started talking about Babe Ruth. And he said, he said, I've always wanted a Babe Ruth autographed baseball. So I'm like, I've got one. I've got a Babe Ruth autographed baseball that I will sell you, George, for $10. And George had money all in his top drawer of his dresser. He had already shown us his money, too. So George said, $10 for a Babe Ruth autographed baseball? And I'm like, yes! So I went home. I found the best baseball I could find. I wrote Babe Ruth on it. And about 15 minutes later, I was back to his house to make $10. And so it worked out pretty good because he's eight, right? He doesn't know whether it's authentic or not. He looks at it. He's so excited. It's a little dirty. It's been used a few times. And it says Babe Ruth, and he's so excited, and he, he gladly gave me the 10 bucks. So I'm thinking, yeah, smart, man, that's good. Took, I didn't take advantage of the little boy. I sold him a product, okay, for 10 bucks. He did get a baseball with Babe Ruth written on it. And so he gave me the $10. I go home, and I'm hanging out at home. The rest of the day goes good. I've got my $10. I put it up. I hide it somewhere. And then my dad comes home from work in the afternoon. When dad gets home, there's a phone call, and the phone call is for dad. So dad goes to the phone, which he didn't answer the phone too often, and he's like, yes, sir, okay, oh, really, huh, I'll take care of it. So you probably know how the rest of the story goes. Dad said, Ricky, <laughs> yes, sir, I had no idea what it was about. And he said, uh, seems like you sold a Babe Ruth autographed baseball to George. And I said, yes, sir, I did. <laughs> Got $10 for it. He said, go get the $10. 
we're going to George's house. So we go back to George's house, and I'm getting nervous now because I know I'm in trouble. Get to George's house, and we walk in, and we sit down with his dad and George and myself and my dad, and we're sitting there, and dad makes me apologize uh, and tell the truth about riding Babe Ruth on the ball. Makes me give him the baseball. By the way, it said Little League, official Little League on the ball. <laughs> Maybe he didn't catch that. He's eight, okay? Okay, so, so I give him the baseball, and then he makes me give him the $10 back and apologize. So uh, as we went home, it's a short ride, but Dad had a very important conversation with me. He, says, he said, son, how do you want to be known? How do you want to be known? Because you can be known as a thief, or you can be known as a person of character and integrity and honesty. And in the car on the way home, he said, so tell me, son, how do you really want to be known? Because right now you're not looking too good. And I'm disappointed in you. Now, I don't know about you, but when my dad or my mom says, I'm disappointed, that just crushed me inside. Matter of fact, my dad's been, been gone for a long time in heaven. But even when I was an adult, if he was disappointed in me, it just crushed me. You want your parents to be proud of you. And he said, so, so how do you want to be known, son? You want to be known as a man of integrity, a man of character a man of honesty. And I said, yeah, like Uncle Norris. My Uncle Norris, you told me that he didn't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, and he didn't run with women who do. So like Uncle Norris. And he said, yeah, I did say that, didn't I? And you said that Uncle Norris didn't even drink coffee. He was such a good man. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Dad said, it's important how you are known. He said, son, what you did today can hurt your reputation. So just think about it. What do you want to be known for? Well, today we're going to look at some scriptures. In Revelation, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to talk about those scriptures. And I want to ask you a question today as we start. What do you want to be known for as an individual? What do, you, what do we want to be known for as Westwood Baptist church members? How do we want to be seen as believers? Before we dig into these verses, I'd like to re remind you that this is a letter. This is a letter in Revelation 3 that follows six other letters. It's the seventh letter to the seventh church in Revelation. All these churches were in the Asia Minor area, which just so you, need to, so you would know, it's in the Turkey area of modern day. As we look at this letter today, I want you to understand that these letters were written to certain churches of the day, but they're also written to us as a church and to us as individuals. What Jesus says to each of these seven churches also is here to challenge every believer today. If we're going to understand the Lord's words to this church, a little background on this city. So this city that he's writing the church to was called Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a city that was established 250 years before Jesus was born. And the city was located on a very high plateau and was secure from the enemies. Listen to this about Laodicea. Laodicea was a major city, a major city. It was strategically located where three highways converged and it was highly commercial and a very wealthy city. 
It had wealthy bankers and businessmen. The city had theaters. They had all kind of sports to participate in. They had a huge stadium. They had public saunas and spas. And they had fabulous shopping areas. Let me ask you, does that sound familiar at all? There was one big problem with this city called Laodicea. It was the fact that they had no ready source of water in the city. Water had to be piped into the city from nearby cities. So the city had everything. They had great shopping. They had very smart people. They had a lot of stuff, but they didn't have water. Now, water came into the city from Heropolis, which was a city six miles to the north, and it was from hot springs. Heropolis was known for very hot springs. And then there was a city just east called Colossae, and it was known for its cold springs. And both of these cities had piped water in to Laodicea so they would have water. This city was so rich that in 61 AD, some 28 years or so after Jesus died on the cross, that they were destroyed completely by an earthquake. And because they had so much money, they rebuilt by themselves with their own money. Rome had offered uh, aid for them, but they, but they didn't take it at all because they had enough money. So the city was known primarily for three things. So listen close to these three things. The first thing was finances. Finances. They had an incredible banking center. They would loan money. They would share money with people who needed it. They were a city that built big buildings. Even if you go online right now and look at this particular city in ruins, you can tell that they had incredible buildings. This city was the wealthiest city in the Roman Empire. They not only had finances, but they had fashion. You're like, fashion? Yeah, because for some reason, they were able to raise these sheep that had thick black wool. And, and the other regions didn't have that. So because of that, they used this to their advantage, and they started a fashion industry. Matter of fact, this was a place where you would stop when you were traveling because you wanted to buy some of their clothes. They always had the newest and the latest styles. They not only were the financial center, they were not only the fashion center, but they were also known for pharmaceuticals. You're like, pharmaceuticals? Why is that a big deal? Well, hey, pharmaceuticals is a pretty big deal to us, right? Right now? It was a big deal then. Matter of fact, this particular city had a medical center, and they had a medical school where they trained people to take care of other people. And one of the things that they had produced was an eye salve. And this eye salve uh, was sold all over the region to help people with eye problems. It was a little pill that they had produced that they would ship it as a little pill and you would mix it with water and make a paste and put it over your eyes. This place had it going on. With this background in mind, I want us to look at the verses. So if you'll go to your passage of Scripture in Revelation 3, starting with verse 14. I'm going to take just a moment to read the entire passage, just a few verses. We'll come back and talk about each one. I think what's being said here also needs to be said 
to Westwood. Also needs to be said to the church of today. And also needs to be said to Rick Callahan and to you. Verse 14 says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus comes to this church without a single word of commendation. The other six churches, he, he always started off with something good and then shared something bad and then told them that he loved them and gave them a solution to their problems. As he considers Laodicea's works and their ways, he has nothing good to say to them at all. He simply comes to them and lays out the problem that he sees. So let me just ask you a question as we get started today with this passage. What if Jesus wrote you a letter? What would he say about who you are, about your character, about the way you live your Christian life? I've got to share this with you. I know there's a lot of teenagers sitting right here in front of me. I heard a portion of this sermon when I was 16. And guys, I don't remember who was preaching it. I don't remember if it was morning or night. But what I heard was, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And of course, the Bible, you've probably heard this before, where it's talking about spitting out of your mouth actually means to vomit or to throw you up. And that image was with me. And guys, as a 16-year-old, guess what? I had grown up in a Christian home. I had gone to church regular. I had made a decision when I was nine. I had been at everything we had. But somewhere around 16, I wasn't a hooligan, but I was lukewarm. And I, it killed me inside to think that Jesus would want to spit me out of his mouth. Let's look at this passage together. The first verse, it says, And the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus identifies himself. He says, I'm the writer of this letter. Now, we know that John was pinning this. He was on an island, 
And God was telling him, the Holy Spirit was telling him what to write down all, about, all through Revelation. And so this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I am the amen. The amen means this, I am the faithful one. I am the beginning of God's creation. I am the end of God's creation. He's saying, I am the one that will make it so. When we say amen after prayer, it means may it be so. And so here he's saying, I am the final say. I am the amen. So it's one thing for my dad to talk to me and say I'm disappointed, but it's another thing for Jesus, the final say guy, the amen to say I'm bringing this to you. He says in verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold nor hot. Now, remember me talking earlier about the water situation in Laodicea? You had the cold water coming from one city. You had the hot water coming from another city. One was about eight miles away. One was about six miles away. But by the time the cold water got to Laodicea, guess what? It wasn't cold anymore. By the time the hot water got to Laodicea, it was no longer hot, but it was lukewarm. So Jesus knew that he had the attention when he brought this up. I don't know about you, but when I thought about this scripture, even years ago, I thought, you know, I really don't like hot drinks. Some of you do. I mean, I see a lot of people drinking coffee. You like coffee, you look forward to coffee, you getting up in the morning, and guess what? You want your coffee what? Hot, right? I mean, some of you might want it cold. I don't get that. I really don't get that. But, but, but you like your coffee hot. Hey, by the way, if you, I do like hot chocolate, but I don't like it hot. I like it warm, okay? Because for some reason, I just don't like hot drinks. But maybe you do. And it's, hey, when you get a hot drink in the morning, a coffee or whatever, it it's, it's, meets a need, doesn't it? It's good. Gives you a little caffeine too. But, but it meets a need. I'm a cold drink guy. I mean, I mean, I'm one of these guys that I want a, I want a cold water after I've been outside working. Or I would like, even more than that, a cold Powerade or a Gatorade. But I like it as cold as possible because it's refreshing. But you know what? I never ran in when I was a little boy and said, Mama, give me a warm drink of water. Okay? I never did. And I never ran in and said, Mom, can I have some cool hot chocolate? I wanted it warm. And so it's the same thing that's happening here. God is saying, through Jesus, he's saying, he's saying, I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I mean, I would rather you be cold or hot than lukewarm. Listen to this. Jesus is simply saying that just like their water, their works and their attitudes were not satisfying or refreshing. Just like their water, it wasn't satisfying or refreshing. This church had become so lukewarm. What does that mean? What well, means that as a church, I know we're talking to a city, but these cities were established with churches in them. And he's talking to a church in the city, and he said, he said, you have become a lazy church. You have become apathetic. Yeah, you ha you've, ha you've been a church on fire before, but right now, no, you're not. They had come to the place where they felt like they really didn't need Jesus. They probably wouldn't say that, but they were acting like that. These folks, teenagers, were not burning hot for Jesus. They were not cold either. They were somewhere in between, and because of that, he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Those who are spiritually hot are engaged in their faith. 
You see them on Sunday morning. They sing the songs. They're here, first of all. They sing the songs. They smile at people. They listen closely to the sermons. Some take notes. They bring their Bibles. They make sure their kids are learning. There are a lot of people who are hot for Christ. Then there are some people who just don't show up. They're on our church roads, but we never see them. Maybe they came one Sunday and we enrolled them in small groups, but we haven't seen them again. And they don't care. They're totally apathetic. Then there's those people who come to church every Sunday, but they just sit in a pew. They don't come expecting anything. They don't come in look, looking forward to anything. They're not going to give uh, Kevin and the band uh, the singing that, that's asked of up here. That's kind of just lazy. Let me finish this thing. And oh, by the way, what time is it? Because I need to go. They get through. They have an invitation. There's an invitation. Maybe they listen to the invitation. Maybe they respond. But probably they don't. So i got to ask you some questions. Is this not the condition of the modern church? Are believers today just going through the motions? Are Christians in our day no longer moved by the cross? Once again, when I was 16 and I heard this for the first time, I'm like, you know what? I do this. I come to church. I come see my friends. I like my friends. I like hanging out with them. I didn't even bring my Bible. Sometimes, if I did, I didn't look up the passage. I was more interested in what was going on around me where I was sitting than what was going on on stage. I wonder sometimes, and I have to ask myself this question. I wonder sometimes, are we really concerned about people going to hell? Does it matter to us anymore? Are we more concerned about the latest, greatest programs we have for teenagers or children or preschoolers or for music or for missions. We're more concerned about that than people going to hell. If we are concerned about people going to hell, then why aren't we sharing the gospel? I do need to tell you today, and this sermon hit me hard when I was preparing, because I have about 30 men that, I, that God's given me the opportunity to minister to on a regular basis. And I know for a fact that about 16 or 17 of them are not going to heaven. But is that a burden on me? Is there a passion for me to share? Another question. Have we come to a place where everything is okay as long as we're okay? See, most churches today are not completely dead. I mean, look, we got a great group of people here today, and we'll have another group next hour. Not completely dead, and I'm not saying we're dead. I'm asking you as an individual, are you a dead Christian? Are you a lukewarm Christian? But we're also not on fire for God the way we need to be. There's somewhere in the middle of the road, and that is where the modern church is. People often enter the church, take their seat, fold their arms, and say, give me some motivational word, preacher. We know that happens. They apathetically sing the songs. They never feel the need to go to an altar and pray. They never feel a need to testify. And they never feel a need to do anything but come and go. We must be careful to never say, look at us and all that we have. We're doing fine and we need nothing. That was the attitude of this church. So what is Jesus asking this church to do? I think it's interesting. Go to verse 17. 
He says, for you say I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, this is, the, this is a key part here, this is Jesus speaking, I counsel you to buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your, your eyes so that you may see me. What he's doing, Jesus knows the city just like he knows my heart and he knows your heart. He knows the heart of Westwood. And he says to this church in Laodicea, he said, hey, I tell you what, buy gold from me. Take my gold. My gold will supply all your needs for eternity. I know you have gold, you have money, but take gold from me. Then he says, take these white, white garments, take these white garments and you clothe yourself with these white garments. I know you have really nice fashion. You, you even sell most of it. And I know it makes you a lot of money. It makes you a good living. But you know what? Clothe yourself with garments from me. Then he says, and take salve from me. Buy it from me to put on your eyes so that you see the world the way that I see the world. So let's just think about that a minute. So, by the way, we're a pretty wealthy nation. We are, and we're, we're a well-off area here where we live. People are at all across the spectrum when it comes to finances. But I got news for you. Gold from God is better. Gold from God is better. You agree? Let me see your head nod. Okay. Yeah, and, and he says, you know what? He said, you've got, you've got great clothes and you've got fashion and you use your money to buy super cool stuff that, looks, that makes you look good. And uh, it's great to have those things, but you know what? Buy your clothes from me because I offer white garments, pure white garments. I want to cover you with my love and my purity. Take that because that's a whole lot better than a beautiful black wool. And then he says, hey, Buy the ass salve from me. Buy that from me. He said, you know what? I know y'all are coming a long way in the medical fields, and y'all have created this, and it helps people all over the region. But you know what? What I have will last for eternity. Buy it from me. So I've got to ask you today, how do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves? Want us, want us to know this. We need Jesus and what he can do for us. But this church in Laodicea had gotten to the point where they really didn't need Jesus. They had everything. They had it going on. It looked pretty good. Deep down, I have to think that they knew they didn't have everything as it should be, right? What we need in our lives is Jesus. And by the way, I'd rather have Jesus in his presence than anything else. We used to sing a song like that years ago. With all the hymns we threw in that first song today, we could have thrown that one in too. You know? I'd rather have Jesus than anything, than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus. How about you? Would you really rather have Jesus? Verse 19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. 
He gives them an opportunity here. He said, hey, buy the stuff from me. Take this stuff from me. Don't use the world's stuff. Use my stuff. Trust me. And he said, by the way, I love you, and that's why I am disciplining you. It's the same idea of my dad saying, son, I'm disappointed in you, but I love you. And because I love you, you need to know that it's going to be more important for you to be a man of character, integrity, and honesty, and a man that loves God than for you to get what you want or to have a little extra money. In spite of their influence toward God, he still loves them. What a blessing. Isn't it a blessing that even though sometimes we have bad attitudes, God still loves us? I'm not the only one that has a bad attitude. I'm not, am I? Okay, I see. The amen, Jesus gives the spiritual advice, and he invites them to come to him. And then he gives them a much-needed word of advice. There's a word called zealous, which I've heard before means just to be on fire. And the word zealous, actually, from that comes the word zesty, which means hot or spicy. So I want to ask you, are you on fire for Jesus Christ? He says, here's what you need to do. Repent and be zealous. Verse 22 Verse 20 through 22 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, in this particular passage, there are basically four thoughts, four promises that are made. The first one is a present promise, which it says, I stand at the door and knock. There were years ago, I couldn't even tell you where I heard that verse, but it's in Revelation 3, verse 20, okay? And he he says, I stand at the door and knock. It means he's still there. He's knocking. He's not going to go away. He's going to stay there and keep knocking. If he's knocking on your heart's door, he's going to keep knocking. If he's knocking on the church's door outside right now, we need to let him in, right? He makes a promise. He says, I stand here. And then he says that if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, it's a personal promise. He's not saying that to the church. He's saying if anyone, you put your name there. If I open the door and hear his voice, then it says he'll come in and eat with me. You may have seen a painting in the past somewhere or a picture of Jesus standing on the outside of a door knocking. I remember we used to have one in one of our hallways at my church where I grew up. I think every church had that picture somewhere. And Jesus is knocking on the door. But you might remember there was no door handle on the outside. It's to remind us that Jesus is not going to knock down the door. He's not going to open the door himself. But he's going to stand there and knock And he's knocking and he's knocking and he's saying, hey, if you will open the door and invite me in, I will come in and eat with you and we will have fellowship together. Basically what that means is, hey, when you invite somebody to your house, you have fellowship, right? You enjoy food, you enjoy conversation. And uh, so that's what he's talking about here. I want to come in. I want to be a part of who you are. I want to be in everything you do. Once again, teenagers, he wants to be a part of what you do every day. He doesn't want just be a part of church life. 
He wants to be a part of what goes on at school and what goes on at home and what goes on with your friends, what goes on on the internet. He wants to be a part of all of that. He says, if you'll invite me in, I'll come in and I'll spend time with you. And the last promise is a powerful promise. This is the verse that says, there are all the benefits of salvation that he wants to give a person who overcomes. A person who says, I'm tired of being apathetic. I'm tired of being lukewarm. I don't want you to have the attitude toward me where you're disappointed and you want to spit me out of your mouth. I want to follow you and spend time with you one day in heaven. Now, I've got to ask you this. So where does this message find you? If everybody's known for something, then what are you known for? I titled the sermon three or four weeks before I did the sermon. That's dangerous, by the way. But I will say this, it applies. It says mask off. And it's not that I want you to take your mask off and go against state mandates and all that. But I want you to figuratively take your mask off in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, I come before you exactly the way that I am. And I want you to look at me and I want you to help me And I want you to come into my life, and I want you to turn me me on fire for you, put me on fire for you. I want you to come in, and I'll take gold from you rather than the world. I'll take garments from you rather than the world. And I will take eye salve. I will take my eyes, and I will place them on you and not on the world and allow you to heal me. So, on that day when dad asked me, son, what do you want to be known for? I don't remember what I answered, but I knew I was in trouble. But guys, when I heard this when I was 16, and the pastor said that if you're a lukewarm Christian, that it makes God sick, that caught my attention. So as we face this new year, Our goal should be to take our mask off and say, God, I come before you just as I am. Use me. Challenge me. Help me to be on fire for you. Let's imagine for just a moment that we were a great church, which we are. We got great programs. God's providing for us financially. Uh, You've got good leadership. We've got servants. We've got people that use their talents and gifts. But let's say we had all that. We got up here and we led songs, we sang songs, and we had everything looking good for the screen. But let's say Jesus was outside of our doors and he's walking around knocking. He's saying, Westwood, Westwood, this is Jesus, by the way. I'm the amen. Let me in. Let me lead your church. Wow, I got news for you. I'm going to go open the door, aren't you? Because I want God to lead Westwood. I want us to be a light in this community. And it starts when we, as individuals, become lights. So guys, I want to ask you, if you would, just bow your head for a moment. I'm going to ask Kevin to come. He's going to play. So guys, as we think about these things, Let's consider the fact that we don't have it all together. (laughs) That we've been blessed. 
we live in a great place and we have great stuff and we look good. But wow, if we could give everything to God, if we could live for Jesus in such a way that when people look at us, they see that we're wearing white garments that are pure like Jesus. They look at us and they see Jesus. Let's say that our goals are not all about making money and having stuff. But we'll take the gold that will last forever that only Jesus can give. Let's say that, let's say that God opens our eyes so that we can see our friends and our world the way we need to see it. And so that instead of being ugly toward people or saying negative things about everything, that we pray for those situations and for those people. What I want to do now is take just a moment. Maybe today you have never, ever prayed to receive Christ. Well, this is the day of salvation. The Bible says that Jesus stands at your door of your heart and he knocks. And he says, if you will invite me in, I will forgive you of your sins. And you can be with me forever. We can have fellowship together forever. Maybe today you need to pray. You need to ask God to forgive you of your sins and invite him into your heart. Commit yourself to live for him. Maybe today you're out here and you're just like, you know what, I just need to pray. Maybe you're praying right now and you just need to pray. God, I want to start this year by being on fire for you. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't ever want you to look at me, Jesus, and say, you make me sick. I want to follow you wholeheartedly this year. Lord, I trust you. So, Lord, today, I want to follow you more closely. Forgive me for where I have been lukewarm.